All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. 8.50 local, uh, plenty of time for the Red Mile to get uh, worked into a lather. Let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock, though, Matt, and let's drop the puck and talk about what happened last night. A true buzzer beater in the Tampa and Florida game, the Battle of Florida. And in this case, you've got the Florida Panthers now heading on the road against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions down in a 2 nothing hole. Man, that just felt like a soul-sucking loss for the Panthers, Matt. And they seem to be in a really tough spot moving forward. Yeah, it's going to be really tough to come back from that. And also, shout out to Ross Colton. That's three game-winning goals in the past 
two postseasons, 118th overall pick in, in the draft. Pretty amazing how Tampa finds these guys, develop their depth players. But if I'm looking at the Panthers right now, I'm sort of getting deja vu about the start of the Washington series. And what I mean is the Panthers, they look a little soft to me. And I think they're sort of learning what happens when you go against a heavier team. The Washington Capitals were the fourth heaviest team in the NHL. They lose Tom Wilson, which I think changes that series. And now the Tampa Bay Lightning, that is the heaviest team in the NHL. And to me, they just are showing what it takes to win. They have the killer instinct. Great stat from Joe Smith of The Athletic. 21 block shots, but 13 different players blocked a shot in game two. So I'm a little nervous if I'm a Panthers fan. I think they really needed that game, especially because of the fact we know Tampa Bay, even if they lose game three at home, it's 17-0 now in the last three postseasons following a loss. Yeah, and you look at it, 13 different players block shots, Matt. Five of them went down the tunnel, certainly willing to pay the price for their efforts. And, you know, we've talked and touched briefly on the Florida power play and just how abysmal that's been. We'll touch on it a little bit later as well with John Goyans, our resident coach at Daily Faceoff and playoff contributor. But, oh, for 25, you know, the word that Andrew Brunette used was unbelievable that he can't believe that this is how this has played out for the Panthers. It's, it's bordering on historic in terms of how many opportunities they've had, how little success they've had. And it's not the only difference, but if you could get a couple power play goals, it would seem to make a major difference in this series, which has been really tight so far. It's true. And it's interesting. You look at special teams in general. Also, the penalty kill has been atrocious in the playoffs. And you look at Tampa Bay in the Leafs series. Their power play started that series cold. They made adjustments. They have a veteran coach in John Cooper. They've been in these battles. They've been in these deep waters. They're able to find a way to sort of shake it off. Whereas I think the Panthers, it might be a mental block right now. And they're in their head. And I think even the last play, that final play, it's a microcosm of the series so far. You have Gustav Forsling. He takes two seconds off because they're waiting for that final horn. Nikita Kucherov's playing to that final horn. He's the guy who's battle-tested, battle-hardened, and the Lightning. They play an extra three seconds, and that's enough to win game two. Yeah, and the Panthers had plenty of chances to get the puck out of their own end as well. You mentioned where do the Lightning find these guys like Ross Colton? How does Nikita Kucherov find Ross Colton with that pass? Unbelievable stuff. Let's take a look at the St. Louis Blues who even up their series against the Colorado Avalanche. A much better game in Game 2 for the Blues. They're able to cut down on shots against from 54 all the way down to 31. They made life easier for Jordan Binnington, who's been nearly flawless in this series. And you look at the adjustments that Craig Berube has made in these playoffs so far, not just series to series, but game to game. He's had the golden touch for the Blues. He broke up that line of... uh, uh, Buchnevich, Thomas, and Tarasenko sprinkles those guys throughout the lineup. And David Perron, we've talked about his heroics already this postseason, the hat trick to open things up for the Blues in these playoffs. He's ageless. He's defied the age curve, Matt. It's amazing. David Perron, he's the Rodney Dangerfield of the NHL, doesn't get any respect. I was tweeting earlier today, I think he's going to end up having kind of a Ray Whitney career where he's 40 years old. He's still averaging, you know, 60 points a season, something like that. But I'm really glad you mentioned uh, Craig Brube, Frank, because to me, if I were to give out a, a mini Jack Adams award for the playoffs so far, it goes to Craig Brube. He's made amazing adjustments. I think he understands where the strength in his lineup is and where the weakness is. Of course, he's been without Tory Krug. There's been so many injuries on defense. So he understands 
chance, he needs to help that group more by adding a seventh defenseman. He's been going with a lot of 7D lineup, 11 forward, because he knows the Blues have arguably the deepest forward group in the NHL. They can get by with 11 of those guys because they were so productive in the season. And I think it's just an example of a veteran coach just knowing how to use his lineup strengths. And I think it really came into play in, in game two. What really stood out to me as well, it's not like the Blues just sort of hung on the way they did in, in game one. They, they really, truly outplayed Colorado in game two. It was a 21-13 edge in scoring chances, five on five, nine, three edge in high danger chances. So that tells us this is really a series. This is not just a David versus Goliath. That was a, a really fair, even matchup over the first two games. If you look at the totality of the series. Yeah, not only did the Blues take it to the Avs, but they've also found a way to stifle a little bit of the offense that gets created from Kel McCarr on that back end. And you look at the first two games, McCarr and McKinnon have combined for zero goals. They were beasts in round one against the Preds. Obviously a different opponent, much more stout opponent. Do you have any level of concern? Nathan McKinnon said they were, quote, really bad in game two. What's, you know, any concern about the Avs and their stars getting on track on the score sheet? I think it's still early for it, but it is something to watch because the Avs, this is one of those teams that it's a perennial powerhouse. And when you have that sort of role in the NHL structure, the deeper you get in the playoffs, the more the pressure starts to go up. And I think Colorado, in this case, it's at least reaching the Stanley Cup final or bust. It's time for this group to break through. And there have been these disappointments where they look dominant during the playoffs and they suddenly hit a wall when they get to the next round. So you do have to wonder, is there any risk of a repeat of what happened against Vegas last year? I don't think so. It's too early. But it is worth monitoring from just from a mental standpoint. I agree with you. Leafs can't get out of round one. The Abs haven't been able to get out of round two. That's just been their sticking point. So uh, let's talk about the Battle of Alberta. Game two goes tonight. We mentioned the late puck drop. It's going to be fascinating. I think we're going to learn a lot about the Edmonton Oilers in this game. They were pushed around in a big way. They couldn't get out of their own end, couldn't get through the neutral zone. Uh, Connor McDavid was pushed around. They didn't have an answer for the Calgary Flames and their physicality in game one. And as I wrote today on dailyfaceoff.com, Matt, the injury really was lose large for me. I wish I, after seeing game one, could maybe get a redo on my pick. And it's not because the Flames won the game 9-6. It's because I didn't realize how banged up Darnell Nurse is. You watch that game one, 18 minutes time on ice. His season average is 25. This is a guy that effortlessly played 62 against Winnipeg not that long ago. And someone that thrives being on the ice. Matt, he doesn't throw a single hit, not one registered hit in game one. He's clearly hurt. I, I wrote that uh, the concern is, according to sources, that he has a core muscle injury that may require surgery when the season ends. Leon Dreisaitl, we all knew that. We've had the attention focused on that. But I think we kind of missed the boat on Nurse. And when you take two of the Oilers' top three players out of their lineup, or at least significantly limit them, well, then the Oilers just don't, they thrive on their stars. They don't, they're not going to be in a position where they can hang on, I don't think, against a much deeper Flames team. I think you're right. And I think if you look at the forward group, one thing that was supposedly different about this team this year is they finally achieved depth in that top six. When Leon Dreisaitl is not himself, he can't play center. He can't patrol the ice in the same way. You put him loaded on that top line with McDavid. Yes, it's a very scary line, but now it's just one line that Calgary really has to worry about. The depth is really badly damaged. And I think we saw that in game one. And Darnell Nurse, I agree as well. I don't think there's anyone else on that decor that can do exactly what he does when he's healthy. The combination of talent and size and now 
nastiness as well. And if the nastiness is not there, he's not the same player. And it's interesting. If I look at the way game one played out, I think it was a reflection of each team's first round opponent. So Edmonton, to me, they drew the easiest team in the 16-team field. If you factor in that LA had no Drew Doughty and for a lot of the series, no Victor Arvidsson as well. So they come in sort of facing a softer opponent and it's a big wake-up call against the Calgary Flames. Whereas the Flames, they threw everything they had at Jake Ottinger, took everything. That was a hard-fought, tight-checking series. And by comparison for the Flames, it's like, ooh, this is pretty easy playing Edmonton. This is wide open hockey. This is fun. So it's not a big surprise that they flew out of the gate. And it's going to be interesting to see how each team adjusts to the new opponent in game two. Yeah, such a juxtaposition between the type of series in round one for the Flames against the Stars to then game one of the Battle of Alberta. So much attention quickly, Matt, on on Mike Smith and his start to the game. Obviously, three goals in six minutes. Um, it was brutal, but not as much necessarily in the off day was Jacob Markstrom talked about. Will he be better in game two? And that's really important. You know, the 9-6 score was extremely deceiving. Territorially, Calgary absolutely dominated that game. It was 31-14 scoring chances at 5-1-5. The only reason that game was actually close was because Jacob Markstrom had that uncharacteristically terrible game. I do think we have to have confidence in him. And he's had such a phenomenal season, led the league in shutouts. He's given us no reason to really doubt that he'll bounce back. But it does bear watching because goaltending, as we always say, it is the great equalizer. It can turn a dominant game for one team into a close score. As Scotty Bowman once said, goaltending doesn't matter unless you don't have it. So uh, certainly going to be interesting to watch in game two. That brings us to the Boston Bruins. A lot of teams, Matt, have been packing up their bags, cleaning out their lockers. We've seen and heard from players, coaches, and now executives from around the league, from teams that were eliminated in round one in a fascinating day in Boston, as Cam Neely, the Boston Bruins president of hockey operations, took to the mic and had this to say. Uh, I, I, I haven't really talked to Don about it yet, so uh, I, I, he hasn't really given me any indication, only because probably uh, he's not really sure what his situation was. That was Cam Neely on the status of coach Bruce Cassidy. Uh, who's had a great run in Boston. They've accomplished a lot. They've won a lot. But there certainly seemed to be some friction there at times this year between Bruce Cassidy and his players. Cassidy is a hard-driving coach, someone that suffers no fools. Um, And I think you look at Don Sweeney, who does not have a contract, at least at the moment, for next season. Bruce Cassidy does as the coach. Those contracts were not synced up. It kind of puts everyone in a little bit of an awkward spot. What was your takeaway from the press conference? It, it was one of the strangest season-ending pressers I can remember because you have your your team president talking about a GM who doesn't have a contract yet and then criticizing the coach that does have a contract and referring to how the GM who doesn't have a contract is going to deal with the coach who does have a contract and openly criticizing that coach and sort of implying that Cam Neely and Don Sweeney were not on the same page as Bruce Cassidy, not sort of in agreement with the way they were deploying their their zone entries and the fact that Bruce Cassidy leans toward his forwards and everything is forward heavy and they're not using their D to activate the D enough in terms of moving the puck and breakout. But to me, do these problems really have to tie into the coach? Are they not also related to player personnel? Bruce Cassidy doesn't have Tory Krug back there moving the puck anymore because he went to St. Louis. They also lost David Krejci in the offseason, so their depth in terms of their forwards has been damaged as well. And there's nothing that Bruce Cassidy can do about that. So I did think it was just generally strange, and I do wonder if it's fair to put the crosshair 
crosshairs on Bruce Cassidy and not on Don Sweeney, especially if you look at the big picture now, Patrice Bergeron, we don't know if his career's over. And there's not a lot of help coming up this farm system. I know if you're a friendly dominant team, you're going to trade away picks, but it's not like the Bruins haven't had opportunities. They've, if you look at the first round picks in the Don Sweeney era, David Pasternak, that was the previous regime. He does get Charlie McAvoy, but it's Jacob Zaborl, Zach Shinishin, Jake DeBrusque, of course, Johnny Beecher, it's Urho Vakanainen. There are a lot of misses so far. And 2018, that's four drafts. Not one player from those drafts has suited up in the NHL for the Boston Bruins. So eventually you have to lay, lay some of this blame at the GM's feet, do you not? Yeah, I, I think so. And you look at the left hole that's been the left side of their defense as well. How many different guys have they tried to pay from John Moore to Derek Forward to go down the list? Uh, you know, Mike, all these guys that have probably been overpaid for the position uh, that they just haven't found a way to to really fill that spot, fill that void. Um, you know, interesting to see them try and attempt it with Hampus Lindholm. That new contract uh, kind of got off to a tough start with the injury there in Boston. Going to be really interesting to see what happens there. I I, I kind of have a feeling, and, and listening to Cam Neely, that Bruce Cassidy doesn't survive. But man, the whole situation is strange. There's some rumblings behind the scenes in the last few days that Don Sweeney actually already has the contract for himself done. But then they handled it that way publicly. I, I don't really know what to make of it. It's all very odd, almost like an episode from Stranger Things. Let's get to our resident coach, John Goyans. Pleased to welcome back to the Daily Faceoff show our resident coach and playoff contributor at dailyfaceoff.com. He is John Goyans, and this segment is delivered by DoorDash. John, when you look at, um, you know, take a look at the playoffs and how they've unfolded to this point, there's so much talk about the importance of line matching. It's all we hear is how will this line match up against this line and how disciplined will coaches be in that matchup? Is there another facet of the game when it comes to lines, though, and changing that you think is more important? Uh, it's it's pretty clear after having hosted the Coaches Cafe, which had some of the best coaches in, in the world, and we had Scotty Bowman and Ken Hitchcock talk about the evolution of, of line matchups and that, that particular uh, topic. The reality is line changes become a greater, have a greater impact on the game. Uh, why? Because the rules have changed. The game has stretched out. The game is faster. You look here. Second period, you always hear changes are longer. You talk about game sense. Shesterkin sauce one touch pass up the ice. Boom, catches Pittsburgh's PK on a bad line change after 45 seconds on the PK. You got to be able to recognize that you got to cut off plays like this. For example, a stretch play against. You can't be going for wholesale changes. Uh, Rue Willie, uh, for sure I mangled his name there, is just gassed. And the other three guys can't get back in time. And, and it's it's a huge goal. Even though Pittsburgh scores the next one before the period ends, it's still a massive goal. And, and New York was able to uh, partner that up with or parcel that up toward me back in the series. John, I know that making adjustments game to game within a series are, of course, important. But is there any risk of sort of overcompensating and overreacting to one game, sort of overdoing the adjustments? 
Yeah, absolutely. You, you could uh, you can get away from your own game. You can throw confusion. You can make players even feel that you're panicking, right? Because if you're if you're if you're making changes that are things that your team has played, uh, you know, with those types of adjustments within within the se- uh, season, it all works out. You know, you look at this clip for example. Carolina wasn't really in it for two periods. However, the third period, they got back to their bread and butter, which was the forecheck. So they got a north pass to Ajo. He gets a scoring chance. They stay relentless. What does that create? It creates a broken breakout play. And when you forecheck as hard as they do, eventually they're not going to be, their opponent is not going to be able to hold the offensive blue line. So, you know, everybody loves possession entries, possession entries. The reality is if you're a hard forechecking team and you have a great plan on how you're going to create offense off of that forecheck, eventually the defending team on the zone entries, they're going to give up a little bit of space. They're going to be a little bit more tired. And we see it here, quick up, bang, three on two, which they create two two on one passes and it's in the back of the net. And from there, Carolina takes over. So we know why coaches may want to be a little bit wary about making too big of an adjustment game to game within a series. But when you look at the Florida Panthers power play, 0 for 25, should they just throw that premise out the window? Do they need to make bigger changes? We saw sort of at some point during the series against the Caps, they took Aaron Ekblad off that top unit. I think chemistry has been such a big part of it. Ekblad was hurt for so long. You know, they had, you know, finished the regular season with Giroux on that power play and it really was humming along. And then game one of the playoffs, boom, Ekblad's back there. And it really seemed to change things. What do the Panthers need to do adjustment-wise? It's it's so easy to say that you simplify things. You know, I know with all the power plays that I, either I've coached or I've even consulted with uh, throughout, especially playoff runs, um, is... If you're going to be, if you're in a position where you're struggling, you get back to certain things where uh, an early shot from the point creates a little chaos. Then from those broken plays, those so-called broken plays where you, uh, you end up gaining the puck on a loose puck recovery might open up certain areas. But you see here on this clip, Huberto loves to play this side because he is a distributor. He also has an elite shot, and I don't think he's using it enough. And the one thing on their power play is when they go back to Huberto here, he loves the seam pass, which he's looking for Giroux. Now, Giroux came in late in the season, and in Philly, he played his shooting side. So there's a bit of a, I don't want to say a mismatch, but maybe not that long-standing chemistry on the power play. I'd, if you're going to keep Huberto there, I think he's got to shoot it more often earlier on. Too often, they are getting outnumbered or even numbers or one-and-done situations like what we're seeing here. So get back to concept hockey, creating two-on-ones, creating outnumbered situations, and stop hanging three guys so high up at the blue line that Tampa could just say, perfect, we'll play the analytics game, and we're going to go four-on-two inside the slot. Crazy. It's unbelievable, really. And that's the word that Andrew Burnett used, that that team has not not found a way to score on the power play, given 
all the talent that's out there on the ice for that man advantage. Over 25, one of the real stories of the playoffs through the first few days of round two. Thanks so much to John Goins. You can follow him on Twitter, gourmet underscore hockey. He's done a great job for us as a playoff contributor. Love taking a deeper dive into the clips and everything that's going on behind the scenes, under the surface as our resident coach here at Daily Faceoff. You see the promo code there at the bottom of your screen. DFODD if you're in Canada, DFODD if you're US, if you're in the United States, that gets you 25% off and free delivery on your first order with DoorDash. Battle of Alberta, late games on a Friday night. You don't want to cook. All your favorites and more delivered right to your door by DoorDash. Thanks, John. Thank you. All right, Matt, it's time for our daily face-off inbox question of the day. Hashtag AskDFO. And as we're just a couple days into round two, I'm sure there's many more to come. But what's been your most memorable moment of the playoffs so far as we enter night 19? Well, I could just say game seven extravaganza. And we had five game sevens last week. And I was walking around my house just pumping my fist at nothing because I was so excited. But if we drill down a little deeper. I like the drama of the New York Rangers series in game six. You have Chris Kreider taking that tablet away from Mika Zibanejad saying, don't doubt yourself because you missed a breakaway. It was unlucky. You hit the post. And to me, that wasn't a negative moment. That's positive. He was doing it as positive reinforcement saying, don't doubt yourself. Believe we can do this. And what happens? Mika Zibanejad in game seven scores the tying goal. And Chris Kreider in that game, game six, he scored the winning goal. So I love when you have a drama like this that actually plays out and both players that are involved in this clip here end up playing crucial roles in putting the Rangers past the Penguins in the series. Yeah, and feel really good about it too, Matt. I'm going to go with a game seven moment, and that's just Jake Ottinger and his performance. As each shot continued to pile uh, on for the Calgary Flames, the longer that game went on, as well as Ottinger played nearing that record of Ken Dryden, 260 saves in a single series with no OT games. He was just a few saves away from setting that record, and he fell a little bit short, and of course, Game 7 went to OT, but the nervous energy in that Saddle Dome that he was able to create, the Flames fans sitting on their hands, nervous. It just felt, Matt, like the longer that game went on, that the Dallas Stars were just going to find a way to get one opportunity and win. They come up just short, but Jake Ottinger establishing himself as a big-time, big-game netminder. could be an interesting summer. Chris Gear wrote about Jake Ottinger and his status as a restricted free agent. He's ranking his top 10 RFAs this summer to watch. Keep an eye on that on dailyfaceoff.com. Ottinger has just been an absolute beast in the playoffs. It's true. I'm really getting shades where I was until he got eliminated of 2003 Jean-Sebastien Jaguer. And I know that's a bit hyperbolic, but just in terms of the level of invincibility, that was the feeling I got. And I remember thinking that in 2003 that just no one could score on Jaguer. And I was almost surprised when Calgary finally did. And I think Dallas, you have to be excited. You have your goalie of not just the near future, but the long-term future. He's delivering on that first round pick status. And as well as he played last year, I was just surprised that they didn't run with him to start this year as well. He ended up playing a pretty significant chunk of the year, though, for the Dallas Stars. That brings us to our daily face-off, daily bet segment with Tyler Uremchuk. How'd you do last night, Tyler? 
Oh, not good, Frank. Um, it didn't go well. I got the Kucherov assist in the parlay, but did not get the Kale McCarr assist in the parlay as he once again let me down. And my series bets aren't off to a good start either. Evander Kane was goalless in game one. Kale McCarr doesn't have a point yet. And Nathan McKinnon doesn't have a goal yet. So I'm going to need a big weekend here. But it starts on Friday night where I got two plays courtesy of our friends over at Points Bet Canada. So let's jump right into it, starting with that matchup at the top, Carolina, New York. The over is paying plus 100, and I like it, Frank. Uh, listen, last game, I think that's the anomaly. When you look back at these two teams throughout the playoffs, the Rangers hit the over in seven out of seven games in the first round. The Canes had six or more goals in six of their seven games in the first round. I'm willing to take the plus money payout here, at, or the even money payout at plus 100, and bank on these two teams getting a little bit of offense going here in game two of their series. I'm also taking, how could you not, Let's go with the over in Edmonton, Calgary. I mean, come on. They shattered this thing. It was done halfway through the game in game one. I do think, you know, we're not getting 15 goals again. At least I don't think we're getting 15 goals again. But we could very well hit seven. And with this thing paying out minus 115, I like taking the over and jumping into this matchup a little bit more. I'm going to take Connor McDavid to find the back of the net once again. He went on that sort of like mini goal scoring drought in the middle of the LA Kings series, but he's been red hot as of late and a plus 130 payout for a guy who's scored in four straight games now. I think that's a tremendous spot. Like I said earlier, the offense should still be going here in this hockey game. I don't think the Oilers are going to get shut out. I don't think Markstrom's bounce back will be that big and taking Connor McDavid at plus 130 feels like a good spot. McDavid goal, both overs tonight, Frank, before we wrap up, I've been cold. Mike McKenna has been red hot. He's hit three of his last four McKenna's magic parlays. The payouts have been plus 350, plus 407, and plus 382. He's on fire. So keep it locked on our uh, daily face-off socials to see what McKenna's going to be uh, putting together later today with his parlay. So if I'm doing the math quickly in my head correctly, if you were betting each time uh, one unit on Mike McKenna's parlays, you'd be up, what, 11 units? Something like yeah, that? Yeah, basically, that if you were to put $100 on each of his last four parlays, you'd be up like just over a grand right now, which is insane. It's crazy to see someone hit like that. Keep it locked on yeah. the uh, Mike's Magic parlays. We'll have another one today for you. So uh, great work, Tyler. Uh, I'm with you on the over, certainly in the back. I'm thinking like four, three, something like that. Uh, maybe five, two. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, that brings us to garbage time and our Matt Larkin. Matt, uh, it's been an interesting week. We've had a lot of finalists announced for NHL awards. The Jack Adams was Thursday, the Clancy on Friday. And the Jack Adams has caught your eye. Why? I just think, Frank, it's time to end this charade here and redefine the award because if you look at what it's supposed to go to, it's the coach adjudged to have contributed the most to his team's success. And really, what this award typically goes to is the coach that is in charge of a team that wasn't very good and is now a lot better. That's typical. That's why you see Gerard Gallant getting the status as a finalist because the New York Rangers go from out of the playoffs to in the playoffs. And I just think it's it's strange that we have an award that is not actually honoring the best at, at the coaching position, right? So if you look at the Vezina Trophy, for example, it goes to the best goaltender, but the best coach in the NHL never gets named the best coach in the NHL or very rarely does. If you look at John Cooper, for example, coaches in NHL history with 500 more games, he's second all time to Scotty Bowman. John Cooper has never won the Jack Adams Award. Scotty Bowman only won two. He's the greatest coach of all time. He was only the coach of the year twice. Are you kidding me? I could go on for a while, but my point is 
I think we have to consider redefining the award or at least giving more consideration to coaches that either A, are coaches of great teams or have a bigger impact on a team that is relatively static. So Mike Sullivan is another guy. I think gets snubbed all the time. The Penguins, they run it back with pretty similar aging rosters so many years in a row, so injury prone, and he gets overlooked for the award. I don't know why. I agree with you. I think there's been a lot of great coaches that have been left off. I would say, though, of all the awards, that's not the one that actually bothers me the most in terms of being a charade. I I look at the Jim Gregory GM of the Year Award, and because it's voted on so late and in a different time frame than all the other awards, it's not voted on until the conference finals. Invariably, you can take the four conference finalists and three of the awards finalists will come from that group. It almost feels like it's cheating. Oh, well, that's great. You, you, you know, if the Avs lose in, in round two, is, is Joe Sackick still going to be getting votes for GM of the year? Probably not. So, you know, to me, I think you have to vote on that award when every other award is voted on, because if not, it just makes it feel a lot different. Yeah, I think you're totally right. It almost is like, what's the point? We know who three of the four finalists or who three of the finalists are going to be. And if you're doing it for the GM award, why wouldn't you do the same for the, the Jack Adams and just have a coach that's from one of the final four teams? I think that almost would be more justified if you're going to do that. So I 100% agree. Matt, get yourself a coffee. We've got a lot going on tonight. Late games, certainly out east in Toronto. Can't wait to see the second rendition of the Battle of Alberta out here in Calgary. I want to see the Red Mile fired up for the first time. They had to cancel it the other night due to strong winds here in Alberta, but uh, looking forward to seeing the Red Mile and the Sea of Red again in Calgary as the Flames try and take a 2 nothing series stranglehold against the Edmonton Oilers. Great job, Matt. That'll do it for today's edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. Thanks to Tyler Repchuk and John Goyens, as well as our technical producer, Alex Allard. What a great week of shows. We'll be back on Monday. So much to talk about. You know where to find us. 12 noon Eastern on Monday. Until then, enjoy the games. Have a great long weekend, everyone, especially in Canada. Thanks for watching the Daily Faceoff Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. All right, hockey fans, listen up, because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Face-Off Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.